1: I'm Helen and I'm Stephen and this is the New Statesman podcast well uh, it is a mere hours until voting opens in a variety of elections across England, Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland and the police and crime commissioner elections. Stephen. Yep,
2: I'm excited about all of them this is actually the first time outside of a referendum or a general election year that everyone in the United Kingdom is voting in some elections since 1968.
1: Top party chat. Yeah. Uh, to provide more of such top party chat, Henry Zeff, our acting staggers editor, joins us as well. Um, I'm going to start actually, Henry, by asking a bit about PMQs, which I missed. Was it illuminating?
3: No, it was it was uh, profoundly unedifying. Uh, so it was interesting tactically, in as much as David Cameron, uh, for the first time in in some years, really switched it from questions to the Prime Minister to questions to the leader of the opposition. Uh, So he used uh, a sort of contrived question from a Tory backbencher, which linked local elections in Lincoln and Hamas uh, to uh, he contrived (laughs) to use that. Exactly.
2: (laughs) What was the uh, segue there?
3: So it was Carl McCartney, who's the MP for Lincoln, and his Labour predecessor from 2010 is chief executive of the British Board of uh, of Deputies of British Jews. And somewhere sort of in that sort of muddle, he found an excuse to give David Cameron the opportunity to ask Jeremy Corbyn to condemn what he said some years ago, uh, which is when he described Hamas and his bollet as his friends
2: what I would love to have been is a fly on the wall in the Tory Whip's office, right? So obviously that's a planted question and you always plant questions in your own side to help or hinder you. Um...
1: what were the other alternatives? So they were
2: were literally sitting there just being like, right, so we need to get from A to Hamas. (laughs) I just would have loved to see the chart, which eventually led to producing Carl McCartney.
1: Carmarthenshire is in need of a new railway. (laughs) And does the Prime Minister agree with me that Hamas would not build such a railway? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's one of the weird things about PMQs, isn't it? Is that sense of the stage management. It does actually Hmm. give a huge advantage to the, the Prime Minister.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm less surprised that uh, Corbyn failed to come up with a sort of adequate or uh, adequately deflecting response to David Cameron who asked that sort of question uh, three or four times than I am that he didn't talk about refugees. So this is the second week in a row uh, since the Alf Dubs amendment about child refugees in the House of Lords has been an ongoing sore for the government over whether it's going to let in unaccompanied child refugees uh, in Europe, let them into the UK. Uh, and the second week in a row where you'd have thought that's very obvious, Jeremy Corbyn territory. Well, the second defeat for the government, right? The so second defeat for the government. Exactly. Parliamentary
1: ping pong. It came to the Commons and they it was defeated, but it's been twice through the Lords. Yeah. First, Alf Dubs, who was himself um, was on the Kinder transport mm-hmm. out of Prague at the age of six, he suggested we should take three thousand, and then people said, "Well, that's actually committing to finance, so actually it's not the Lord's purview." So he then said an unspecified number, but um, the SNP's Angus Robertson raised it
3: exactly, he? and and uh, for the second week in a row and again. And what's so bizarre about Jeremy Corbyn not raising it is that it had been briefed in advance that David Cameron was going to climb down and all that Corbyn did by not asking a question w- about it was he allowed the victory to look like it was Angus Robertson's rather than his own. I mean if Jeremy Corbyn had asked six questions about it he would have elicited the climb down from David Cameron over the course of that six.
1: The biggest loser here apart from uh, well I suppose Alan Dubbs is very I I had one week in Westminster, he's so such a nice uh, I was gonna say old man, which sounds very patch nice, but he's right, eighty he years he's old. three. <laughs> you know, um but uh you know, Yvette Cooper must be quite I mean, as much as a, a Yvette Cooper is given to outbursts of violent emotions, because she has really been one of the people mm. who's pressing on this, she leads Labour's refugee task force. Um, Next time you see her in Stoke Newington Organic Bakery I mean I don't ever actually
2: talk And also now I make my own bread I um, I am becoming more of a cliche The answer (laughs) to
1: the question What could make Stephen more Stoke Newington
2: Um, Yeah. Anyway um, moving on from my own bread Um, Yeah I mean I I think it, it confirms As the one remaining defender of the old the old new approach to PMQs, then I think it shows one of the reasons why it was very foolish to abandon his attempt to, to change it. I think people liked that. It was part of the, the new style he, he promised. And also, he doesn't think on his feet... You know there, there is just no two ways about it. Corbyn does not respond well to Cameron throwing something new into it. And the the other clever thing is it always put Cameron in the loser's corner because if Absolutely. he he introduces this character, Cameron doesn't know anything about like whether or not
1: Rosie from Stephen. Rosie
2: from Steven. Yeah, what if she dies at the end of the story? I mean, yeah, that is the thing. What what if in the sixth question Rosie dies?
1: And also because like, you can't like go well, he gives us a, a stuff about what Rosie thinks. Because yeah. one thing you can't do is kind of look kind of contemptuous of, of voters of. Uh, ordinary, hard-working families.
2: Whereas you can look contemptuous of other politicians as much as you want, and I think that uh, is... Uh, yeah, I th- I still think they should bring bring the new old system back.
1: Well, let's, let's enter hostage to Fortune Corner, mm-hmm. also known as election predictions. So there's been this weird ongoing thing this week of Jeremy Corbyn kind of got trapped into saying that he didn't think Labour would lose any council seats. Now, I think... Uh, his, well, Seamus Milne, his spokesman, has said that may have been misinterpreted misinterpreted by reporting it as said uh, in a classic mainstream media lies as ever. Mm-hmm. But um, he is in this difficult position in that all the polls are predicting what 120 losses in, in English council yeah, seats. Yeah, if
2: you extrapolate through railings and thrasher, uh, what you get is losing 100 to 170. But the problem is he's not in a difficult position, right? If you lose council seats as the opposition... It is a sign you are going to go down, not just to defeat, but to to a, to a crushing. The la- opposition has only lost council seats net in two sep- two occasions since. Uh, the last rearranged because it's quite difficult to compare like for like once you get past 74 in 1982 which obviously presaged landslide defeat and in 1985 which
3: presaged landslide defeat and the other thing about 1985 is that's not even a great comparator because even though Neil Kinnock's Labour lost council seats they lost fewer council seats than the Conservative government uh, which I don't think we're expecting the Conservatives to do this time uh, so they went backwards, but they went backwards uh, to a lesser extent than the Conservatives <laughs> was
2: 85 was the kind of SDP's exactly. sort of... Well, they thought at the time that it was their kind of Are revival, saying, but Stephen, it Stephen, actually had SDP if, fight back, it it you're actually, not as Tim Farron might have said.
1: The Lib Dems to make huge gains this well, time. Well, I mean,
2: that's why I think... Then, So the, th- the thing is, it's, it's very easy to say what a, good, a bad night for Labour would be. It is a losing council seat. However... Um, lots of corbyn's critics have tried to put a figure on what would be a good number of gains which i think is a little bit trying to set a bar and he then wouldn't be able to hit even if things were going well because we don't know yet whether or not i'm quite skeptical of whether or not this lib dem revival is actually a thing but this is the last set of local elections contested before ukip were a factor so they complicate your net gains and we don't know if the lib dems will do well. What what you ought to look out for to know whether or not it has been a good or a bad night for Labour is if they are consolidating and winning in places like Redditch, Swindon, Milton Keynes, basically if they are winning in marginal seats. My impression from talking to people on the ground in those seats is the Conservatives will hold on and in fact make gains, uh, which...
1: Which is the kind of the story of the 2015 election, which is Labour gaining votes, you know, piling yeah. up bigger majorities in, in London, but not winning the marginal, the Tory marginals that it needed.
2: Well, there's an interesting kind of long term. And I think one of the many problems in Labour discourse is that the party is divided between people who think that Corbyn is like, I don't know, like a 16th century monarch who can cure scrofula or whatever. <laughs> and... Um, And then a group of people, and this I think includes most left-wing commentators, most of whom thought that Ed Miliband was going to win the last election, who have not, who basically think that getting back to an electable Labour Party is getting back to the party which got crushed in the 2015 election. Actually, Labour has fairly large underlying problems that kind of do not begin or end with Jeremy Corbyn's leadership election. In 2005, they fought a very efficient election where they got very few votes, but they were in exactly the right place in 2015 they wasted lots of votes and it looks like they are basically Gaining votes in like the you know the the liberal bits of Bristol, parts of Norwich, bits of London. Uh, Can I
1: bring up something else that will upset people who you know believe as I do that austerity politics have been harmful and sometimes counterproductive? Which is that Kezia Dugdale in Scotland is going to Holyrood elections with an explicitly anti-austerity message. I mean, whatever kind of juggling you want to do, the only way to stop cuts is to raise taxes you know you have to do one or the other the budget has got to kind of you know if a certain amount of money comes in a certain amount of money comes out you've got to change one of those two things and so she wants to put a penny on income tax across the board and restore the 50p tax rate that's probably going to lead to her coming, if not third, then a you know a, a dicey second. The SNP are yeah. going to gain more seats against that. I mean, there is a point here which will just a bit upset our Scottish listeners that the SNP have essentially become New Labour at this point, and that it's very difficult for new old New Labour to fight against that. But it's it's it, I think that the, if the lesson the membership should really look at Scotland and say you know actually. People hate new Labour, yes, but actually they would probably vote for a very new Labour set of policies right now.
3: Scotland is a very good example of how Corbyn's presence as leader is actually going to complicate the sort of post-match analysis after Thursday rather than give an obvious reason for why Labour might be doing badly in certain areas. So Jeremy Corbyn, uh, and if not him explicitly, but many of his supporters, said during the leadership contest his anti-austerity platform is the way to win back Scotland that was always nonsense Uh, Scottish Labour has been a mess for a long time Uh, you had MPs uh, who had what they thought were unassailable majorities uh, getting crushed in 2015 because they hadn't campaigned for about 30 years they didn't know where the Labour voters in their seat were Uh, it's had six I think Kezia is its sixth leader in eight years years, Um, so there's all sorts of long-term difficulties there And it probably is the case that if Labour come third uh, on Thursday, or have come third when you're listening to this, it's not Jeremy Corbyn's fault in the slightest. But by making the promise that was never going to be delivered, that there was a silver bullet for winning back Scotland, which which simply showed a total miscomprehension of the uh, basis of SNP support, uh, he's given a lot of People who supported Ed Miliband, as Stephen says, uh, a way out of the kind of actual deep thinking that they need to do about which is how is Labour going to win back? You know, without Corbyn, Labour was still in a mess in Scotland. Without Corbyn, Labour still might have done quite badly in these council elections. Uh, Sadiq Khan's victory has very little to do with the Labour Party or Sadiq can presumptive victory will have very little to do with the Labour Party or corporate.
1: but isn't the problem for Labour is I mean I think I wrote this when I went to Worcester is that it's got so many it's got enemies on so many different fronts right mm. and actually each one of them requires a different message to win back those voters so in it's northern city you know it's losing to well it's, it's losing votes to UKIP yeah. uh, on you know and and in places like Kent some you know someone like Thurrock you know that, that those are problems for acts you know in some of the south outside London elsewhere it's it's losing votes to the Scottish Nationalists, who have their own various different reasons. In some places, you know, it lost votes to the Lib Dems. Even there is no one ideology. You know, you can't say Labour needs to move left or Labour needs to move right. What it kind of just needs to do is have an entire. Like it needs to sort of sweep the pieces off the board altogether. There's a really. I was thinking about Trident. So in Trident, this is a great situation in Scotland. So Kezia Dugdale herself is a multi believes in multilateral disarmament. The Scottish Labour Party's official position is unilateral disarmament which accords with the position held by Jeremy Corbyn personally, but the official position of the Labour Party overall is now multilateral disarmament. And that's just an example of how difficult it is to try and craft a message that is... You know, the SNP have in some ways got a much simpler job because they don't have to craft a message for English marginals.
2: I mean, the, uh, so, I mean, on, on Trident, I think this is one of the, the many issues on which Corbyn's critics need to keep their mouths firmly shut uh, to win even more friends among podcast listeners. Um, in the... This idea that a lot of people have on the centre-left or right, or whatever you want to call it, of of the Labour Party, then, oh, we have a conference session. No, your Prime Minister designates policy towards the deterrent is de facto your policy. If Jeremy Corbyn is is Prime Minister in 2020, Britain will have disarmed uh, whether or not it is still paying X amount a year towards Trident. It's, you know, it's a bit like if, if I pay the rentals on I don't know my gun, but I leave my gun in a locked box. Do I have a gun when I go into the office? No, of course not.
1: That's, that's so deep, I don't understand. <laughs> I also, yeah, that,
2: that, I'm pleased you know. you're leaving your gun in the you, office you before you come a, and sit next to me. Yeah, still. you
1: have a gun now? <laughs>
2: no, but hypothetically, if I did, if I don't have it on me, then am I on? No. You're
3: absolutely right. The moderates, uh, or centre-left, or whatever you want to call them, obsession with official party policy is, is, just, is just a charade. I mean, when Tony Blair was, was, was Prime Minister and leader of the Labour Party, uh, they didn't say to him, oh, you can't, you can't make a big policy speech uh, announcing something to do with academies. You have to wait till September party conference and put it through a series of binding resolutions which have come up through the National Policy Forum. Of course they didn't he's leader of the Labour Party, he had that mandate and he was Prime Minister, he had that mandate.
1: Also a bit of the election that most people will, you know, the bit of the election that most people watch that connects with most TV viewers are the leaders' debates, so mm. it's entirely pointless to, you know, people are going to ask Jeremy Corbyn his, opi- his opinion, even if he says it's only my personal opinion, this is what Labour Party policy is it doesn't matter, that's the bit that people are going to hear this, I'm voting for Jeremy Corbyn yeah.
2: no. The perverse thing in Scotland, and I think you're completely right, Labour has the problem than all social democratic parties do in Europe than they are, actually with the exception of uh, Renzi in Italy and uh, Trudeau in in canada than they are losing votes to but all they're corners, not led by
1: gorgeous men
2: to all sides i mean you know if i if i wanted to continue alienating as many people i would point out that the only two flourishing left-wing parties in the world are led by blairites but you know maybe yeah like i mean like you yeah, know
3: like no you're absolutely right so Matteo renzi is, is, is as reforming a social democrat as italy has has pretty much ever had yeah. um and he came from pretty much nowhere. He's mayor of Florence yeah. uh, and used that uh, to rise up the pole. Justin Trudeau is a slightly complicating example because he is part of a political dynasty there. But, yeah. uh, um, but apparently people like his, his viral uh, mini cool things. So... Uh, but he knows
1: about quantum computing and he's got a very... No, he learned about quantum <laughs> computing so that
3: he could get he all could the retweets.
1: Yeah, but I kind of feel like... This is the thing, isn't it? Even if you go there, obviously that was a Craven stunt where he he sort of somewhat, he sort of suggested to the press that they should ask him about quantum computing so he could go like, oh, it doesn't rely on bits like Norden 1. It's actually more complicated than that. At least he managed to do that. Imagine Ed Miliband planting a question about quantum computing and then explaining quantum computing to you.
3: I mean, I kind of feel like if we'd had Twitter on YouTube in 1997. This this is just Tony Blair, right? Uh, and we know how that how people felt about him ten years later. The people who got swept away by it. So you know,
2: oh, it,
1: it's okay. Other... This is a this is a Blair like exception zone. You're allowed to say oh, that you yeah, like well... Tony Blair in yeah. this space. He's I, not...
3: I, I do, but but I'm just pointing out to the to the Trudeau fanatics who might not be Trudeau fanatics in ten years.
1: He's probably not going to invade Iraq. Is but he? I mean,
3: but that is the other thing about
2: uh, Trudeau and Renzi, isn't basically every left-wing party is either in a position where it didn't try 3rd way Blairism or Clintonism the first time and it can still try it again and it works for them but it doesn't work a second time or they're in the position where basically everything you might say wouldn't it be great if the Labour Party did X, you can find a European example of the Labour Party doing that and ending up on exactly the Labour Party's present trajectory which is to get a vote share in the mid-20s.
1: Okay, here's an upset. Here's a question that will upset some listeners. Would you, still, would you describe yourself as a Blairite?
2: No, um, because Blairism was a, a political solution to, one, it was a setting when you had a finance sector which allowed you to cream off X amount of revenue every year. Politics is a lot harder on the left than it was when Blairism was a thing. I mean, to take, to te- let's take kind of the four things which it would be great for Labour to be able to do to win again. Getting the votes of the elderly. In 1997, most pensioners in Britain lived in poverty, right? Right. The most lasting redistribution of the Blair government was dragging pensioners as a, as a grouping out of poverty. And they are the only group who are being protected adequately by the coalition because they vote. Sorry, by the Conservatives. Um, however, does the Labour Party want to go into the next election competing with the Tories for taking money away from the young and giving it to the old? Of course they don't. But they are going to have to get some votes from the mm-hmm. old if they want to do anything for the young. So they're kind of stuffed there. On the economy, Blair and Brown didn't have to raise taxes apart from in two thousand and one when, when they did it because incomes were going up by a record levels. Like yeah, you know, like literally all of the political trade offs that allowed Blairism to work as an electoral force don't work now. I mean, the fundamental insight that the voters are never wrong is eternal. But
1: uh, what were the other two? You said there were four things. So one is. The are old, old people, two is the economy, and there were two more. Coming. There were
2: two more. Oh, the third it was...
1: No social media?
2: Yeah, no social media. And this, like,
1: I think you can have an Alistair Campbell-style control grid when yeah. you can control the, your yeah, yeah, like, the you access can, you the can, media. Like,
2: this thing is just like... Alistair Campbell could seriously damage newspapers by going, well, you've done this, so we're denying you access, because they then only found out and they had a story that they didn't have the next day mm. whereas now yeah I mean we saw this with Ed Miliband's attempts to punish various media outlets you know what would happen is is and they wouldn't give it to something it would appear on you know the New States website the Mirror website and then two minutes later it would be on the Telegraph or the Times website it's not really an effective form of punishment anymore so that whole approach to politics uh doesn't really work and then the fourth Is just in the international situation is a lot more fraught and difficult. It was fairly easy to have a situation in which you could be fairly loudly proud of the benefits of letting people immigrate, globalization, etc., etc., when everyone was getting more wealthy. It's much harder to do that now.
1: Russia's definitely more feisty right, than yeah. it was in the 1990s. I mean, yeah, this, this, China has got a growing middle class who yeah. so all want to consume things. And, yeah, like, I mean, and like,
3: Iraq happened, right? Yeah, yeah the I fact do, I remember that it happened that. means that. Yeah.
1: We now can't have a sensible conversation about Syria. Well, exactly. I, from our post Blairite right safe space, that's probably enough for now. Um, we'll catch up with it again after all the results. Who knows? We might be sitting here next week hanging our heads in shame as Labour stormed to victory, taking 300 council seats. Stay tuned. <laughs> I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And we host the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. Seriously. If you secretly care more about comics than Jeremy Corbyn, this is the podcast for you. You can find all our episodes at newstatesman.com forward slash s r s l y.
2: And now it's time to go down the line to the lobby with George.
4: Hi, Stephen. Hi, George. So all the talk at Westminster is once again about a possible challenge to Jeremy Corbyn as Labour leader. And of course, this discussion has been going on even before he uh, acquired the position. And the consensus among those who want to challenge him is that it would be wrong to do so before the EU referendum, mm. um, which is the, a cause that many of them regard as, as far bigger actually than than who leads the Labour Party. But some are increasingly confident that there will be a challenge uh, after that point in the four-week interval between the referendum and the summer recess, and there is still no agreed candidate. So there's been talk this week of of Margaret Hodge as a possible stalking horse. In fact, has been talked for some time, and the logic there is that she's uh, a veteran MP who's at the end of her career. She's um independently wealthy she's respected within the party she's authoritative um she's jewish so that would give her a platform to challenge um corbyn's um perceived softness on on anti-semitism and the idea is that she would make the first move soak up all the animosity from <clears throat> the uh from the corbynites and then make way for um the the true challenger say say dan jarvis or Angelo Eagle. But I think one of the problems for Corbyn's opponents is that they're still divided on whether now is the right time for a challenge and and the form it should take. There's some who who feel it's better to wait until later in the parliament when, in their view, Corbyn will have been given um, more time to fail and members will be more open to a challenge. Um, A lot of shadow cabinet members I've spoken to including those hostile to Corbyn, feel that the members would simply think it's unfair for him to be removed when he's had less than a year in the job. And when in their view, he hasn't had time to to set out his stall. They say they're anxious, they want reassurance, but they're not ready for another leadership election.
2: Yeah. And I mean, there are also even among his most virulent critics, a feeling that it would be a great mistake to even have a coup Attempt in the background uh, in the run-up to the European referendum, which will further weaken the plotters' uh, uh, strength. Um, on the subject of Europe, what is the mood in Westminster about that?
4: So that's taken something of a back seat ahead of the um, the elections, um, which um, um, were imminent as 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 are imminent as we speak. Um, the polls show it's it's very close. I think it's fair to say that. Um, Barack Obama's intervention did not have the immediate impact that some expected, but uh, on the remain side, they believe that it's more of a, a gradual erosion of, of, of the case for leaving and that they will ultimately win on, uh, on economic territory
2: speaking of the local elections what is the so we we know in great detail what the mood in labor is what is the mood within the other parties the lib dems the snp etc etc as we go into this period
4: well i think the lib dems are just hoping for some signs of of a fight back something uh that they that they can point to something which uh gives them some some relevance again um, obviously the, the SNP are in, in an incredibly commanding position and in some ways the real story in Scotland will be the battle for second and third place between between Labour and the, and the Conservatives uh, but it is striking in some ways that even when both main parties are hugely divided and um, have multiple problems we're not seeing a surge for, for UKIP or the Lib Dems um, of course in the 80s when uh, Labour uh, last lost seats in a non-general election year um, in the locals, um, it was the SDP Liberal Alliance that was surging, um, and that's not the case this time. Hmm. If
2: so let's yeah hypothetically let let's say that the results are catastrophically bad for Labour, will you think there will be any nervousness, uh, particularly in the Lib Dems, that they are failing to capitalise, and we're not seeing? a surge in popularity for Tim Farron of the kind we saw for David Steele in the seventies or The Gang of Fool.
4: Yes, I think there will be. And I think given that Farron was actually never a particularly popular figure within within the parliamentary party, I think there will be some anxiety among what's left of, of that section of the of the Lib Dems. But more broadly, I think expectations are so low that it, it probably doesn't matter for now. But you'll remember when if it became clear that Jeremy Corbyn was was going to win, there were some like Jack Straw who predicted that the Lib Dems would have a Lazarus style recovery, and that that hasn't happened. Um, in terms of Labour, I think it will it will I think undoubtedly help Jeremy Corbyn's critics if uh, Labour do lose council seats because they'll be able to point to that as as a hard evidence of what they see as as of his uh, underperformance of his failures. At the moment, they say the only numbers on the board. Uh, Jeremy's um leadership election victory, his huge mandate, and the surge in, in party membership, um two statistics which which Corbyn invariably refers to every time he speaks, they will now be able to hammer him with uh with with the council losses. Um but of course the comfort for, for Jeremy Corbyn is that all of the evidence we have to date, both anecdotal and uh cephalogical, suggests that the membership are as supportive, if not more supportive of him, as they were in September. So even if this challenge does happen and there are plenty in Labour who actually think that there won't be a challenge at all, that the the hurdle is too great, there is a strong likelihood that it, that it will fail. And um, the view of some of the challenges is you keep hitting him and you, you gradually wear him down. Um, but um, it, it does feel um, the idea that Jeremy Corbyn could be removed through a challenge that does feel rather optimistic at the moment. I checked, actually, last night, the last time a Labour leader was removed through constitutional means was in 1922. Um, So Jeremy Corbyn's opponents don't just have to defy politics, they have to defy history. Oh, and on that note, we'll be back next
2: week. Right, so from one civil war... To another... bomb, bomb, bom. uh Captain America 3, Civil War, is out in cinemas. Um, we are joined again by Henry Zeffman, who saw it this weekend. I, of course, saw it this weekend. And Helen Lewis, who saw it this weekend. So, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, I'm just going to front this up by saying I did not see The Winter Soldier previously. I saw the original Captain America. I've seen, I would say, I've tried to keep up with the Marvel movies, but there's just there there's a lot of hundreds them. of the buggers. So I'd, I've seen Deadpool. I like that. Uh... I've seen some of the X-Men. I think I may oh, have yeah. missed an X-Men.
2: X-Men and Deadpool aren't part of the same movie continuity as the Marvel films.
1: Yeah, but I'm just saying in Marvel film. To, I mean, I know that's... But what I mean is... What I'm, the point I'm making is there are a lot of films to keep up with, Stephen. Well, I'm just saying they're, they're not really... They're not, they, like
2: fundamentally, that's like saying I, I haven't kept up with all of the... I don't know, like Ian Fleming books, but I, you know, I've just finished reading Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. They're not the same.
1: But I have. But that would be a true thing to say.
2: <laughs> but they're not the same. <laughs> anyway, that's one in the eye for the podcast listeners who believe we agree on everything. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, there were, of course, will be numerous spoilers about uh, Civil War. So if you haven't listened, watched it yet, uh, go away and uh, come back when you have.
1: But this being the New Statesman podcast, what we're really here to talk about are the politics yes. of... Captain America. Captain America: Civil War. Um, so, for, the, for let me let me attempt to. Oh, this is going to go so badly. To give a brief precy of the plot, essentially, everyone thinks that they're getting the Avengers are getting too big for their boots. They're acting like a sort of global police force. They've got no oversight. They don't report to a select committee. They don't go to Senate so you know subcommittee hearings, and they're just basically doing what they want. In the last but one film.
2: Uh, yes, in the last but one film. They sort
1: of accidentally trashed an entire city because someone was levitating it and they let it drop. And that yeah, was all great. But, but then people the died. The people. Right. Another bit of land. Yeah. yeah. So so the city called Sokovia. So the premise of Captain America Civil War is that the US government tries to bring them under the control of the UN. And uh, Cap doesn't like this because the Winter Soldier, who is an assassin who previously was bad but also good, and his friend and rescued him from a river, and had been frozen at the same time as him, was outside of this, and he wants to rescue him and stop him being done for crimes he did not commit. Although he did but commit he, other crimes, also, but he was brainwashed. He's so. also
2: against the uh, the agreement. Full stop. He he thinks that if they are, he, yeah, he's like, well, what if we're told to go in somewhere we think we shouldn't be, or we're told we're not to go in somewhere we think we should... He, I mean, effectively, it is like a classic um, like a division on, on the left. On the one hand, you have the liberal tradition. Uh, you're kind of Paddy Ashdown, Nick Clegg, Roy Jenkins, I... with uh, Captain America thing. No regulation. Let us help the helpless and we'll do it in our own way. Paddy
3: Ashdown would love to be compared to Captain America.
2: And then on the other hand, you have... You see um, Paddy
1: Ashdown's amazing shield.
2: You're kind of like big state... Gordon Brown, Tony Blair, Ed Miliband, um, Harold Wilson—kind of like you know, like you know, like the state. you know, a more authoritarian. You know, like w- you know, the state is going to tell you where where you cannot intervene and not.
1: So, what surprises trust us me is this. the fact in this division that Captain America finds himself on the side of not being under the control of the U.S. government, given that he—I suppose—he he c- is
3: literally a creation.
1: I mean, he's but literally the an avatar government. for sort of American triumphalism and exceptionalism. The fact that he then goes, well, I'm not doing, what, i do what I want. That, that That's quite, I, I was surprised at the way that that goes. But, and then, and so Tony Stark is the leader of the other faction yeah. who kind of says, you know, we've got to, although mi- mysteriously it, having lost Pepper pots, presumably because Gwyneth Paltrow refused to be in anymore because yeah. she's got kale to eat <laughs> um, somewhere. I Again, was those. on the side of Captain America. Yeah. Were we, Henry, were you? No. Why uh, not? Why are you such a stooge?
3: I mean, obviously, because I'm Jewish. Uh, but no, the reason that I was really on the on on the side of, of Iron Man is because I agree. I I I I find the idea of these uh, superheroes, some of whom aren't even from Earth in Thor's case although he's not doesn't make an appearance in this movie xenophobic? literally from well it's not quite xenophobic right it's it's oh I, I haven't haven't done enough it's Greek not racist rap, to sorry. impose controls on superheroes Let's yeah, like put that on. it's not racist to point out that he's from Asgard uh which is it's literally another realm uh, and so he probably needs some kind of human oversight, let alone American oversight. You're
1: the Simon Danchuk <laughs> of the Marvel Universe. Yeah,
3: I don't know who's Karen. Um, no, I, um, I, I I think uh, it's quite straightforward uh, argument. I mean, what's what's quite powerful about the fact that Tony Stark, this kind of swashbuckling, uh, testosterone adult, uh, ludicrously intelligent inventor, is the guy who ends up on the government side because he has this very... Uh, corny although it's kind of well done moment with a mother of uh, a guy who's been killed in Sokovia which is the eastern european state which they lifted up and dropped on some other uh, undefined landmass and killed loads of people uh, and she says you know my, my son had dreams too uh, but you know he's dead because of your actions and, and Stark uh, thinks oh yeah that that, that was bad and the reason he thinks it was bad is because it was bad, uh, and quite simply the combined. I mean, actually, the only thing that I struggle with being on being Team Iron Man, uh, Team Tony, Team Big State, uh, Team Orwell, uh, is is that uh, I don't really see why it's the UN. Uh, there are lots of countries that are quite bad in the UN. I'd probably be happier if it was just the American government. All right, John McCain. Uh,
1: you want NATO control. NATO. Of NATO Avengers. is a good That's compromise. I mean, about. actually,
3: they get the politics of it wrong, because it's the UN who write these accords, but the only person they ever interact with. It's it's not some sort of banky moon cipher. It's the Secretary of State of the US, uh, which doesn't really make sense, because he doesn't speak
2: and for the entire of UN. And the King of, of the the Wakanda. And
3: the King of Wakanda.
2: Oh. I mean, so I... I think I also would say I was broadly on Iron Man's side because ultimately, if like the, the problem with like Captain America is like, well, what if we were told to go somewhere we shouldn't? Well, then don't.
3: Yeah, like like ultimately, like. But
1: then you end up in a US Supermax floating fortress prison. Yeah, but not for it very long. Quite
3: comfy as a prison, with right?
1: Really small cells. I also I don't really
2: un- I mean, so there are a couple. I had two questions about Scarlet Witch uh, from the film, right? The first was, when everyone else changes into their battle armour, she changes into her corset, right? Which exposes more of her to bullets. But also, you can't put a corset on without help, right? And so she's escaping with this other guy. They're running, and she's like, wait a second. I need to change out of my regular clothes into my battle corset. Will you do me a solid and lace me up? That feels unlikely. The second is, is when she's locked up in the thing she's got, like, weird mind power... Wearing a straitjacket isn't going to stop. I her think getting the out
1: premise is that she like she can only do it when she can do the thing with her hands. Well, where mean, she well, could, her hands so that's why like, they've got yeah. her in a straitjacket. So she can't yeah. put her. If she can only do magic when her hands are four inches apart, that seems to be the lesson of the film. Okay. But
3: really, they've put her in a corset because the people who make these films are, are sexist, right?
1: Well, I was trying to work out whether or not it passed the Bechdel test, and I think that's. I'm trying to think whether or not it, did there was there any chit chat between any of the women. I can't I'm no, trying to think the
3: No Because
2: Scarlett Johansson actually never Black Widow never talks to Scarlet Witch uh, about anything in the film actually and um... Well they're on
3: different teams and then because obviously you know they have to balance up the one woman
1: yeah, on oh, one woman per side, uh, That's yeah, it. Exactly. Okay. Well, there's only two
3: to go around, and then they're with black valets. I think say, do. Uh, they
1: get one yeah. black guy per but side they also as well. like
2: a black sidekick. Like that's the thing. It's just like I mean, I, I actually did think the fight between the superheroes was done really well. Really, it, it well. was. It was fun up until the point where they then very cleverly like go, "No, actually, you need to be taking this more seriously." When um, Don Cheadle, who's Iron Man's black guy, um, gets shot by mistake, when they're trying to shoot Captain America's black guy. Wow, this film, actually, <laughs> there are a lot
1: of problems with it when you kind of think about it. For a... Well, can um, I tell you why I'm on Team Captain America? Yeah. Because I think that there, in everything like this, there are no right answers, and that you eventually you're making a, a kind of crude um, end justifies the means. You're always just trying to kind of come up with a, with a basically, that you have to do the least worst harm that you can in any situation. I think that either way... The Avengers are incredibly dangerous to humanity, but the best thing to do is for them to be personally responsible for that.
3: But if you want to do the least worst thing, then the least worst thing... I mean, the, the presumption of Captain America was that by submitting to UN supervision, they were going to do less in fewer places. That seemed... I mean, he said that explicitly. So doing the least worst thing or the least bad, bad things... Uh, would presumably mean doing less Also, generally. people are
1: really ungrateful. I mean, they literally saved New York from, like, a massive squid thing. Yeah, yeah, like, I oh, mean, oh, like, there was are... that
3: bit where the US Secretary of State, like, played them a video of them saving the world three or four times. He was like, yeah, but look at this building collapsing. It's like, yeah, but, but look at the
2: literally... world, it exists. But I think yeah. the, the big the, the
3: big difference
2: is... I'm I, still on it. his team, though. Iceland. Right, so, like, with the alien squid monsters, the y-
3: Chitauri... Hang
1: on a minute, you're on the team that includes Martin Freeman's accent.
3: God, that was really bad. I mean, it's, so the, the guy who plays Spider Man, who's introduced in the film, and is actually terrific, by the way. Yeah, is in if a fetus, uh, and is um, yeah, but but you know, not much. Probably closer in age to me than you. Uh, and uh, he, uh, <laughs> oh no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he's uh, he's really good, right? And uh, his accent is great, and he's he's young, uh, fetus young. Uh, and um, whereas Martin Freeman. Uh, who's done a very good American accent in Fargo. In Fargo, right. But yeah. then it makes you wonder whether the only American accent Martin Freeman can do is that really niche sort of semi-Scandinavian Minnesota thing. Uh, so they might as well have just got him to do that accent because presumably some Minnesota natives do work for the UN.
1: Yeah. I, uh, but I, his accent was terrible. I did feel like it, essentially his Martin Freemanness was struggling to break mm. through at all times. I, I mean, was Pete thought, just in the
3: office suddenly like being the US Secretary of State's lackey.
1: Which would have been awesome. Yeah. Sorry, Stephen, I interrupted Dawn you. would have
3: preferred that life. I can't remember what I was going to say
2: before, but I'm just going to agree with her so I also would have. I would have preferred if Black Panther hadn't been kind of like Battle Mandela, um, like <laughs> it just like partly because like he's a really posh African prince, which means he's either gone to Harvard or yeah, his, Oxford. His like, <laughs> accent like, he's, he's, was a he's, bit. He mm. doesn't sound like he would like. He's not going to be like. I'm so happy to be free. Like it just it's, that is not going to be
3: his.
1: I'm so happy you did that accent, <laughs> yeah, like, not <on> me.
3: Like, <laughs> do you think? They were. They explained adequately the source of his powers. Do you think it needed more of that Wasn't uh, in this film? I thought his power was just that he wore a cool black suit. No, because he could sort of like fly, and he also had claws. what, what is the source of Black Panther's powers? Well, I don't know. There was a ring that he put on his hand, which
1: also appears to be made out of the special metal that I really yeah. should I remember. Thought it was
2: just that his suit was made of weird special metal, and then there's. Suit had claws. I don't. I don't know.
1: Can I also bring up talking of these suits? How has actually Tony Stark got any money left? I mean, yeah. I know he's supposed to be incredibly rich, but surely there's only so much money. Well, you also can in piece an era away. of
2: record low global interest rates, you, what you would assume? I mean, no. You, seriously, you would assume in most times that uh, Iron Man just has a vast, vast empire of wealth. But well, what's his wealth from? Because now he own? now he
1: doesn't now he doesn't run a weapons business. What other businesses are that profitable? Is he running like patents, you know? Presumably. Is he on Facebook basically? Is that the only? Oh, I mean, I reckon probably a
2: patents. B, he's now in clean energy. Right, there's lots of money in energy. Getting lot of
1: subsidies from the EU, I bet.
2: Yeah, and also interest. You know, this is probably a guy with vast cash reserves. Like probably he's trying making iPhones or something. He's
1: almost okay. certainly trying to develop a driverless car.
2: Yeah. Um, and yeah, I reckon probably just interest. Venture capital. Venture capitalists will
3: give money to anything. Do the Avengers take a salary? Do you think they must do? Right. I mean, like, so what? What does the Vision do in his downtime? Because he doesn't not really need a anything. He anyway. doesn't
1: need to eat anything, does he? Because he goes when he when she's cooking that good okay, like thing.
3: What's what's, what's the deal with his family?
1: Well, like
2: who? They just work well. They used to work for Shield, which obviously yeah, it doesn't exist. But no, I think they they clearly are all salaried professionals, right? Because like Captain America, we know from the one that Helen hasn't seen that he has a flat in Brooklyn. Mm. Um, like which that must be a... Hawkeye's
1: got a little farm hasn't he that yeah. his kids and his wife live on and they don't really kind of get involved with that, that
2: superhero in that he does well that must be a really weird experience though, if you're frozen in ice for like 70 plus years and you've like grown up in like the poorest part of Brooklyn and then suddenly it's, it's... basically Bernie Sanders suddenly <laughs> it's Brooklyn yeah I mean he is basically Bernie Sanders like you Brooklyn in
3: a, in a sense
2: <laughs> Uh, Like,
1: aren't we all in a sense, Bernie? (laughs) So I think I'm gonna. Do you know what? At that point, I think I'm just gonna have to draw. What would be nice is I'm sure people will know more of the. Let's face it, people will know far more (laughs) of the Marvel backstory. So where we go, I wonder what his backstory is. Someone is definitely going to tell us, and that's fine. That's what we love about our podcast listeners. Um, But for the moment, Henry, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?
1: And now it's time for a section we like to call You Asked Us, where you ask us stuff. Uh, you can always send us questions either via email or via Twitter. We're at Helen Lewis and at Stephen KB. This week, people have been asking, what is the optimum time to get snacks and naps in while waiting for the election results?
2: Right, so your kind of prime sleeping time, and it, uh, I would suggest is, if you can, uh, I, I know lots of people asking this are party activists, so I'm going to assume that you've been knocking on doors until around 10 o'clock. Um, your best bet then is if you can, grab two hours and then you can tune in for when we'll start to get very early ideas about what's going on in Scotland and Wales. So uh, this is
1: what, about 2am in the morning you'll start getting no, some of them? be
2: about, yeah, 1-2am when we'll start to get... Uh, there'll be kind of lots of sort of pre-coverage and kind of lots of fun stuff on the live blog... Uh, but
1: Is this you your live can... blog that you're running, yes, Stephen? Yes, my live blog you should that have running, uh,
2: which I have failed to get corporate sponsorship from a food delivery company, uh, saying it's obviously the main thing I do during live blogs is eat. Uh, but um, yeah, you can safely kind of tune in one, two o'clock, when we'll start to get the first set of results from councils in England, the first set of results uh, from Scottish constituencies, and then at about two, we'll get a proper deluge of results from Wales.
1: Which will be really interesting because we're first of all trying to see whether or not Labour are going to have to go into a power-sharing agreement in the Welsh Assembly, yeah. whether or not UKIP have made any kind of well, they will make a breakthrough because they don't they have very little representation at all there now, but the scale of that breakthrough will be very interesting to see.
2: Yeah, and I mean, and there there are lots of quite interesting things going on in Wales, not least the fact that Plaid Cymru have got stuck in this weird cycle where basically they get above a certain size they go in coalition with labor and then labor basically does a mini version of what the tories did to the lib dems in 2015 and so now some people implied are saying oh we should we just need to find a way of getting labor out even if we have to do a deal with the tories my personal view is those people implied are crazy and that would result in them being destroyed yeah, by I even mean, even more in the election but uh, from Labour's perspective, they would much rather do a deal with the Lib Dems. The Welsh Liberal Democrats have a very impressive leader in Kirsty Williams, and they are much closer to the Labour Party politically. So if the Lib Dems can get to three or four seats, and Labour can get in that 26, 27, then you can see how they could have quite a good, stable, liberal-left um, government down there. So OK. That's...
1: So then, presumably, you can have an early morning nap as well, once you've checked in with the yeah. excitement of the New Statesman... Uh overnight news stories yes
2: there will basically be a bit about 4 when you will safely be able to go to sleep till around 8 9 o'clock at which point there will be a kind of a raft of news stories from over the night and then the london uh, the mayoral results will start counting my information so last time the london mayoral count took a very long time because it was quite close the expectation is um, and you know, although people are still privately going, I'm going to fight till the end, the expectation on the Conservative side in a lot of quarters is, and they in fact have lost. Uh, and
1: presumably, I think it was you were saying that if it's if it's only if it designed it on first preferences, that's a quicker count because you don't have to go through and count.
2: Yeah, again. I mean, I think it's highly unlikely. that they, There is one poll which shows Sadiq like a point away from hitting the, the quota. But I think the thing is, is turnout dropping goes both ways. Zach Goldsmith isn't... Yeah, we forget Boris had two great achievements in 2008. So this is
1: predictions that there will be what turn out to be about 35%. Yeah. It'll be be quite low.
2: Um, So yeah, there won't be as many votes to count as there were with Ken B. Boris. And also, my instinct is what will happen is we'll have a situation at about five on the Friday when we'll be able to say, look, Sadiq has won because he'll have 45%, 42% of the uh, first round. And to be honest, in, in AV, I can find no record of a candidate... Securing more than forty-two percent in the first round, not going on to win.
1: But then let's go address the biggest question of all: When do the police and crime commissioner elections report back?
2: So this, this the thing is, you joke, but a lot of people did have actually emailed me about police and crime commissioners. I think as some extended troll, but um, <laughs> so it's it's difficult to say because they've never been held at the same time before, and they will be counted last. And you remember in the London Euro- in the European elections when everyone else in the country was waiting for Tower Hamlets to get its act together and declare some results. And everyone else is... So the thing with the PCCs is, is it's like that. Bristol takes ages to count. It always has, and it probably always will. We're expecting them to declare on late on Sunday.
1: Okay, and when um, will they finish weighing the SNP's vote?
2: Oh, that will happen quite quickly. Although the lists, the mechanics... of So we will know who runs Scotland. Well... We will we will know who will is opposing the people who is who are running <laughs> yeah. Scotland. You know who is second in that kind of all important third place playoff between Labour and the Conservatives. Uh, probably seven eight o'clock when the list vote will come into play. The interesting thing in terms of the uh, drama of who comes first and who comes second is that the list system is designed to reduce down the iniquity of first past the post. Basically, but the difficulty is, is we are kind of assuming that neither Labour or the Conservatives will get any seats through first past the post, which then means that if there are maybe ten thousand votes separating Labour in second with the Conservatives in third, it's actually quite easy to see how the list system ends up helping the third place party in the popular vote slightly more, and so you end up with the third party coming second in terms of seats in Holyrood. So there's lots of exciting drama there. Um,
1: I was just you were talking and I was thinking about the fact that that Spider-Man is only 3 years younger than Henry and thinking that I might just waddle out of here on my Zimmer frame after this but um so far thank you Stephen for telling well I asked you uh, listeners asked you and that, I think that was a pretty comprehensive answer so thank you <music> You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast, presented by me, Helen Nose, with Stephen Bush. Our producer is India Bork, and our music is Devil with a Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. You can find us on iTunes or at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast.